You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Hey, I'm so glad to be speaking to you today. I've got an incredibly powerful message on things God doesn't do. Things God doesn't do. Now, I've got seven of these, but not enough time. So let me race through these things. So really quickly, the first thing that God doesn't do from Scripture that we realize what God doesn't do that He can do, but just doesn't do it. Number one is God does not create everything in one day. If you read the opening stanza of Genesis, which I recommend, you'll find that on the first day, God separated the light from the darkness, the light he called day, the darkness he called night, evening and morning, the first day. Then the second day, God said, and then the third day, God said, and then the fourth day, God said. God could have done it all in one. In fact, he could have done it all like that, but he doesn't. Why doesn't God create everything in one day? It's not because he can't. It's not because, well, there's a limit to even God's power. The reason that God doesn't create everything in one day is because God is demonstrating to you and I that he is a God of process, that he is a God of process. So you need to understand that God is processing you. Everything God does, he does through a process. Your body is going through a process. Your ministry calling and aspiration goes through a process. Joseph was 17 with a dream, but he was spoiled. He wore the coat of his father's favor. He was a tattletale. He tattletailed on his brothers when they were goofing off in the, in the field. Why wasn't he helping them in the field? No, he just brings back a negative report of his brothers. They hated him. They hated his dreams. He was kind of spoiled. You know, he didn't want to go and work in the field because he just had a, a pedicure and a manicure. And so he's like, I'm not getting my fingers and chafed. And, and so they hated him. So God then had to give the dreamer the capacity to be the person to fulfill that dream And so God put him in a process that he would not and could not learn at home. There are some things because of the blind spots and the dysfunctions of our fathers that God has to bring us out into an environment. And so Joseph is thrown into a a pit. The brothers are arguing, they're debating, do we kill him? Finally, Reuben says, we can't kill him. He's our flesh and blood. Let's sell him. So they sold him into slavery. Joseph becomes a slave. What I love is that even in his slavery, he keeps looking to God, not to his chains. He keeps looking to God, not to his circumstances. He keeps looking to God and not the violation and the injustice that has happened to him. He ends up in Potiphar's house and he is faithful in everything that Potiphar gives him because he understands that promotion doesn't come from the hand of man. Don't be, don't be fooled. The hand of man may rob from you. It was the hand of man that threw him in the pit. It was the hand of man that brought the gavel down. It was the hand of man that exchanged the contracts, 20 pieces of silver that now declared Joseph a slave to Potiphar. That, that were all the hand of man. But Joseph determined that the hand of man is cruel. When David sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba, he was given three options. And, and David said this, he says, let me not fall into the hands of man. Let me not fall into the hands of man, but rather let me fall into the hands of God with whom there is mercy. 
if the hand of man has stolen from you, please do not look to the hand of man to restore back to you. With the hand of man, there is no mercy, only cruelty, only dysfunction, only brokenness. Look to the hand of God. In the midst of all of this, Joseph looked to the hand of God because it was the hand of God that would elevate. But you know, it get, got worse before it got better because Joseph, uh, Joseph is now being seduced by Potiphar's wife. And she cast longing eyes and day after day, she decided, hey, slave boy, you, do, you run my bath and now you stay behind. It's like, I'm out of here and you make my bed and why don't you hop in and I'm out of here. And day after day after day after day, he refused. Finally, she captures him in the house and she says, lie with me. And, she try, and he runs out of there, leaves his coat behind. And when she realizes, she accuses him of rape because if she is found out as wanting to commit adultery, she is killed, she is beheaded, or she is stoned to death. That's the punishment for rape in Egypt in the Middle East. It's no different today as it was thousands of years ago. So she has to make up a story. Joseph knows if he tells the truth, she dies. So he stays silent like Jesus and goes into prison. He's now in prison for a crime he did not commit. It looks like life is unfair. It looks like life is cruel. It looks like the dream is getting further and further from a reality. But what Joseph understands is that God is a God of process. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever life has thrown at you, whatever uh, victim of injustice or negativity or betrayal you're feeling at the moment, understand if you will not look to the hand of man, if you will look to the hand of God, God is a God of process. He does not create in one day. God will give you a dream, but then he will make the dream fulfiller. He gives you a dream, but then he wants to make you the person that can make that dream come to pass. Joseph learned to be faithful in the prison. He learned to be faithful in part of his house. Everything under his hand prospered. He learned to interpret the dreams of everybody else. Why? Because God was processing him. Because the time would come where a famine would hit the land and nobody knew how to deal with negative. Nobody knew how to deal with this gravity of injustice a financial injustice, a famine comes where the heavens are shut up, where there's no rain on the earth, where there's such severe conditions, such harsh drought that this just seems like everything is going to die. But there was a man who experienced harsh. There was a man who experienced severe. There was a man who experienced injustice. There was a man who experienced false accusations terrible data coming to him that he was subjected to, but there was a man that God was processing in the prison to elevate in the palace. And can I just tell you that God is a God of process. It takes nine months from a seed to produce a baby. Why? Because God is a God of process. It's interesting that that's 40 weeks. There's something about 40. Can I just encourage you, anything you want to overcome, Quit it for 40 days. Anything you want to overcome, man, I never want to smoke again. Well, just don't try to never do it again. Just try and do it for 40 days because 40, there's a gestation period that, that you and I as humans, Jesus fasted for 40 days. The Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, but then he returned in the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Ghost because 40 days always represents the dying of an old and the birthing of something new. God is a God of process. He is processing you. You can go ahead and give God a praise for that. Amen. Wow, I took way too long on that first one. I got other good one. Number two, number two, second thing that God does not do, He does not ask us 
to pray for revival. I know, I know, oh, throw your stones, throw your stones. What are you talking? We're crying out for revival. We got prayer meetings asking God to send revival. No, no, no. Jesus did not say, hey, guys, I want you to go up into an upper room and ask God to send revival. He's waiting to send it. He's just reluctant. He needs an invitation. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, go into all the world and initiate revival. If you make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make, that's called revival. We're waiting for God to send it from heaven. But most of us, most of our churches, because we have no discipleship structure, because we have no development structure, if the 7.2 billion people on the planet tried to get into our churches, they couldn't fit into our buildings, they couldn't fit into our structures, they couldn't fit, in, fit into our connect groups, they couldn't fit, we, we would lose them within a week because we don't have the structures. Therefore, we need to go and make disciples. We need to go into all the world. When, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I love this. This is a powerful picture. Lazarus was dead, D-E-D, -E dead. He was dead in a tomb. And Jesus comes and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that he was dead, came out bound, hand and foot, and his face was covered in a cloth. I want you to notice the grave clothes didn't disappear. Jesus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, when symbolic of being born again, life coming where there was death, he didn't make the grave clothes. It doesn't say that, and Lazarus came out of the tomb now wearing a tux. He went in in grave clothes, but, or hang on, for our generation. And Lazarus came out wearing hip skinny jeans with like tears in the knee, a long T-shirt down to just above his knees ink on his arms, a couple of piercings. He didn't come out woke. He came, he came out bound. He came out bound. And then, and then Jesus says to them, loose him and let him go. Why, why, why didn't Jesus do the loosing? Why didn't Jesus just click and... Because Jesus brings resurrection. Jesus brings born again. Jesus brings new life. But he says to them, now you loose his hands, you loose his feet, you let him go. Discipleship is what we're called to do. So we're not called to pray for revival. We're called to bring revival by being a discipleship powerhouse church. Somebody say amen. Numero tres, por favor. Number three, uh, Amos 3, 7 says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he first reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. In other words, another thing that God doesn't do, God doesn't do jack diddly squat in your life until he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now that, that, that scripture can also be translated, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he first reveals his secret to his servants who prophesy. In other words, if you're saying to, about your life, oh, when I look at my life, God's not doing a whole lot of stuff in it. How come God's not doing a whole lot of stuff in my life? Can I tell you, if you look at your words and look at your life, your life is a di direct reflection of your words. Nothing good ever happens to me. Bad things come in threes. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be good enough. Life's always against me. Life's always stacked there. They always choose the other person. Surely the Lord God does nothing except he first reveal his secret to his servants, the, prophet, the, the, the prophets, or reveal to those who will prophesy. 
Ruckins McKinley, the prophet that we had here a couple of weeks ago, says that if you will speak what you hear, your eyes will see what you said. If you will speak what you hear, your eyes will see what you said. Elijah, after he took care of the prophets of Baal, after he got breakthrough in the heavenly realm, after he took out the, the false prophets, the false worship, clogging the atmosphere over Israel, once he took out the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, Elijah now says to Ahab, he says, run, run, because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. You go up to your palace and eat and drink, king, because you, you ain't got no power. I'm going to go up to Mount Carmel. The same mountain I just called fire down is the same mountain I'm about to go up and call rain down. And he climbs back up onto Mount Carmel and he bows himself onto the ground and he cries out to God seven times. And finally, a cloud comes up out of the ocean and breakthrough happens in that atmosphere. He heard with his ears and he spoke. And because he spoke what he heard, his eyes saw what he said. Your, your life is a reflection of what you speak. Stop saying life is difficult. Stop saying San Diego's too expensive. Stop saying life is always stacked against me. Stop saying, man, you can never get ahead in life. Stop saying, because your life, the Bible says that death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your life, your life will be the fruit of your mouth. The, if you don't like the fruit of your life, change Change the seed that you're putting out. If you don't like, I don't like what I'm eating. Well, change what you're sowing. Change the seed. Begin to say, I am blessed going in and I'm blessed going out. I am blessed and highly favored. The hand of my God is upon me. He makes a way before me. He makes a way where there is no way. He makes rivers in the desert, streams in the wilderness. He makes my crooked path straight. My God is for me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Begin to change your, your rhetoric and begin to speak the word of God into your life. Somebody say amen. When we came to San Diego, it was one church, four locations. If I was honest, I felt foolish saying one church, four locations. But then that happened. Then it was one church, 16 locations. And we're accelerating towards that. Then God said to me, every building you buy, I will fill. Every building you buy, I will fill. I was tapped out a few years ago. We spent 10 million on South Campus. I was happy. And then God says, buy the fat daddy building up there in San Marcos, thanks to Dr. Matt Hubbard. And... Uh, it's easy for him to dream. He doesn't have to manage the butt. And so I called, I called Jesse Sullivan. I said, Jesse, we don't have any money, but I'm going to go and look at this building. And then I'm, on, I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. I said, Dr. Matt's right. I've got to call Jesse Sullivan. Jesse. And Jesse's like, you know what, Pastor, if, you, if you're saying it, I, I'm, I'll, let's, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I'm like, you're the business manager. You're meant to be responsible. And, uh, but I like him because he's responsible, but he's also response able to respond to God and to respond to faith because faith unlocks things. And so as we began to sit down then and, just, and you know, WIF came in, Wesleyan Financial Group, and, and uh, they said, yeah, we can do this. And, we're, and then after seeing all the things we did, they said, hey, you're asking for 20 million. What if we gave you 40 million? I'm like, what? What would you do with that? I'm buy more buildings. I said, I thought that would be the answer. And then God is just adding and adding and adding. Why? Because we're faithful and little, God is going to give us much. Every building, God's going to fill. It, because we heard it in our ears, we spoke it, our eyes will see what we said because we speak what we heard. Your eyes will see what you said if you will speak what you heard. But listen, the devil is also trying to speak. I made a decision. You don't get to whisper into my ear to speak out of my mouth. 
because you actually don't like me. You hate me. You're not for my success. You're for my fail. You're not for me being elevated. You're for me crash landing and burning out and falling into a heap and failing. So you know what, devil? You can pipe off all you like. I'm putting you on mute. I'm going to just mute the devil, but I'm opening my ears. The Bible says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Come on, to him who has, if you have an ear to hear, just lift a hand right now. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Holy Spirit's always speaking. Don't listen. You know, there are, there are chatterboxes. There are narratives in your head. One of them is the devil. The other one is your past. There is a narrative from your past that plays over and over and over. Your past can be a prison. It is a generational prison. It is passed down. You'll never succeed. You'll never advance. You'll never be anything. Money doesn't grow on trees. I was talking to my dad just yesterday. Eh, money doesn't grow on trees, you know. And uh, the truth is money does grow on trees. Money grows on trees. I'm not sure whoever invented that. It's like, wow, like you need to go and read Genesis. People that don't read the Bible say the stupidest things. Of course money grows on trees. If you sell oranges, where do they grow? If you sell apples, where do they grow? If you sell pineapple and fruit and they grow on trees, what are you talking about? God put, anyway. And so number four, number four, number four, things that God does not do. God does not work on Shabbat. God does not work on the Sabbath. Six days and then he rested. I want you to notice there's a rhythm. It is very, very important. The Bible says that you need a day to cease. You need a day to reflect. You need a day to enjoy creation. Now, the Bible does not say that God rested on the seventh being exhausted from six days of creation. In fact, God was so pooped. He said, oh, I just got to take a break. Gabriel, I'm wore out over here. I want you to notice that, that God was, was not resting because he was exhausted. God was resting because he was modeling how important it is to reflect and enjoy. If your life, if your life is all work, all task, all pursuit, all goals, all strategy, all ambition, all you, it's going to wear you out. You're going to miss the big picture. There's going to be something broken on the inside of you. You and I were created to enjoy life. Now, what day was God's final day of work? What number was it? The sixth day was the final day of work. The seventh he rested. On what day did God create man? Anybody? The sixth day. The last thing that God created was man. Man was created on the sixth day. That's why the number of man is six. God created the sun on the fourth day, but he created man on the sixth day. Watch this. Man was created on day six. Man was created on day six and then the sun set. When the sun sets on the sixth day, what happens? Come on, anyone who went to Israel, what happens on the sixth day when the sun sets? Shabbat. Adam's first day was rest. Adam's very first day was he entered into God's rest. This is a prophetic picture that your, your salvation and my salvation would be accomplished by God and that there would be a rest. I don't have to. I don't have to because of Jesus. I don't have to. There is a rest of faith. Jesus did all the fulfilling of God's law. Jesus did all 
all the, the righteousness. Jesus did all the overcoming of the devil. Jesus did all the extracting the keys of death and hell. Jesus did it all. In fact, what day did Jesus die on? It was a Friday. What day is Friday? The sixth day. Isn't it interesting that the last words of Jesus on the Friday was, it is finished. In Genesis, on the sixth day, God said, it is finished. And there was a Shabbat. Jesus on the cross, Sunday is the first day. Monday, the second day. Friday is the sixth day. On the sixth day, on the Friday, Jesus was hanging on the cross. And Jesus said, it is finished. And then they took him down from the cross and they put him in the tomb for Shabbat. God does not work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, it is finished. The Sabbath, you have to have a Shabbat. You have to get a God rhythm. We want you to last the long haul. And if you're working seven days a week, it's, it's, there's a lack of faith in God. The Bible says anything that's not of faith is sin. You've got to trust God that you can rest. It is so important for you to disconnect from work disconnect from pursuit, disconnect from it, disconnect from all of that and reconnect with God. The greatest thing we can do is get people to church on a Sunday, be together, worship. I know that there's a deal and I know that there's something you've got to pursue. I know there's something, I've just got to make this phone call. You've got to take the, no, 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 turn everything off and just get with God, get with the presence of God. Let him refresh you. Let him bless you. Somebody say amen. 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 Number five, numero cinco, number five. Another thing God does not do is God does not uncover. He does not uncover you. The most magnificent thing about God is he does not uncover. The Bible says that when they came out of the ark, Noah planted a vineyard and got drunk. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, Ham goes and tells his brother, look, dad's drunk, passed out, and he's completely buck naked. Check this out. And the Bible says that, that uh, Shem and Japheth refused to look on their father's nakedness, but grabbed a sheet and walked in backwards so they wouldn't look on their father's nakedness and they covered their father's nakedness. God never judges Noah for being drunk and passing out. The guy was in, in, a, in a boat for 300, he was isolating for 365 days with things that wanted to kill each other. And God's like, you know what, I'm not even going to judge you. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did was made coverings for them. Jesus is the lamb sent to bring covering for our sin. God does not uncover. Satan is the uncoverer. God is the great coverer. When you stand before God, you want to make sure that you stand before God with the covering God provided. I remember going surfing one time, not realizing the surf was going to improve with the tide. And I had an SP15 and I had an SP50 sunscreen. And I didn't think I was going to be out that long. So I thought I'll put the 15 on, you know, get a little bit of a tan. Well, by the time I came in, you can, I was completely fried, completely red because I should have put the SP50 on. I'm telling you, more bright than the sun is the presence of God. And you don't want to stand before God with an SP15, your own righteousness. Well, you know, Jesus, I, I saved little old... Well, Jesus, I was very, very religious. I, I did mission trips in Mexico and I... You can't... Those things aren't going to cover you from... 
The only thing that's going to cover you, the only thing that's going to protect you from being burnt on judgment day is Jesus Christ. He is the only covering you want that covering. Number six, number six is, this is my favorite one, Psalm 147 verse 10. Psalm 147 verse 10. You're going to love this one. Psalm 147 verse 10 says this, He does not delight in the strength of the horse and he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. When you got skinny legs like me, that's an encouraging scripture right there. <laughs> he does not delight in the strength of the horse, nor take pleasure in the legs of a man. God does not, God does not advance his kingdom through human motivation, through human motivation. There's a powerful scripture that's worth writing down and looking up after, which we don't have time. 2 Samuel 21, 15 to 17 says there came a day again where the Philistines came to, to make war with David. And the Bible says that David went out to fight against these giants. How many people remember David was the guy that slayed Goliath? David was the giant slayer. But this is now, this is now a, a, you know, many, many years later. It's, you know, 30-something years later. And David thinks, I, I'm still the, I'm the giant slayer. I, I, I'm the same giant slayer as I was back then. So he goes to fight Ishbi Benob. Ishbi Benob was one of the sons of a giant who was brandishing a new spear. And when David grew faint, when David got tired, Ishbi Benob was about to kill, was about to take out uh, David and snuff out the lamp of Israel. But the Bible says that one of the sons of Zariah came to, I think it was Abishai, one of the sons of Zariah came to David's rescue and killed the giant. There's a lesson there that, that, you need to understand that human strength only goes so far. I might be able to chase lions in my 20s and 30s, but when I'm 50 and 60, I'm going to get exhausted and take a break and then be eaten by the very lions I'm chasing when I'm 20 and 30. I need to get smarter. The first 40 years of your life, you work for money. The next 40 years, you make money work for you. The first 40 years of your life, absolutely, you, you're working for money. But after that, you make money work for you. You need to get smarter. Set traps for lines. Wisdom is much greater than strength, the Bible says. When you're young, you'll produce everything in strength, but you'll deceive and think, I can do this in my old age. Understand that God does not delight in the strength of the horse. The battle doesn't come from the horse. The battle doesn't come from human strength. It comes from the Lord. Somebody say amen. 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 I've got to wrap it up. I'll give you number seven another time. Father, we thank you for these beautiful people. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody today that's watching this, your life's not right with God. Your life is out of balance and out of order. Today, would you turn your life, give your life to Jesus Christ. If you go to awakenchurch.com forward slash Jesus, you can give your life to Christ. The greatest life you can live is following Jesus. There's no greater captain. There's no greater leader. There's no greater savior. He is the Messiah. He's the one that will save, who will heal, and who will deliver. Do that today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We love you. Hope this helped you and blessed you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.